Hello, I'm back with part two of the saga, being falsely accused and being locked up by the actor Benga Akinabe. Thank you so much um, for tuning in and for listening. Thank you so much to everybody for messages and and the support and love. Um, it's been really heartwarming and it's quite cathartic actually for me to you know say all of this. So really appreciate that. Now, I think where I left off in part one is I was talking about being released from jail on Thursday night, um, which was the 27th of May, about 10 p.m. But there was something I forgot to mention, which was when I was being arraigned, and being arraigned is when you go in front of a, you know, a judge. Um, So, and this happened because it was all virtual. Uh, We had to do the arraignments from inside the cells, but they had little rooms where they had a sort of screen set up where you could speak to a lawyer and a judge uh, virtually. So before I was arraigned, as in before I spoke to the judge, I spoke to a lawyer. And I'd mentioned in the last episode about this order of protection that they told me that they were going to put on me. Um, At the time, the first thing the lawyer actually said to me was, we're going to put this order of protection on you. Um, And what that means is that you cannot return to the property this evening. In fact, you can't return to the property at all. And that just made me absolutely livid. And I was like, what do you mean I can't return to the property? So essentially tonight, as of tonight, I'm going to be homeless. And she said, well, you're a woman of means. This is New York City. I'm sure you can find somewhere to stay. And I was like, first of all, that's not the point. Secondly, I haven't actually done anything wrong, so I'm not going to be made homeless um, over some bogus allegations. Thirdly, I had actually paid rent up until the middle of June because I was due to move out in the middle of June. And I told her, I said, we've just settled the harassment case. I've paid a large sum of money for the back rent that I owed and I've paid up until mid-June and I am not going to be made homeless. Absolutely no way. And so I put up quite a fuss and that's when she said, "Okay, I will ask that you get the limited access order of protection, which meant that I could return to the property um, as long as I just didn't, you know, see him. So it just was amazing to me, you know, that I'd got picked up on Wednesday morning um, and by Thursday night, they were basically telling me that I was going to be made homeless and knowing that this was all false and fake. I mean, it was just enraging. Anyway, thankfully, like I said, having advocated for myself, they gave me the limited access order of protection rather than the full order of protection. So I was able to return to the property that night, which I did. Um, But as I told you, the judge had told me that if he literally sets eyes on me, I could be rearrested. And it was clear to me at that point that that was now going to be the new thing. Uh, knowing he knew that he lied, he knew that he had, you know, made false allegations. But if he could get me rearrested for violating the order of protection, then I would then have new charges. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but violating a protection order is a very serious thing. In fact, somewhat more serious than even all of those charges put together. And from an immigration perspective, Uh, violating an order of protection can definitely make you deportable, even if you are a permanent resident. So I was like, okay, I need to get back to the house 
and make sure that I do not see this guy at all. So I managed to make my way back to the house and I was a bit discombobulated, you know, a bit like what the fuck just happened type thing. Um, But my main focus was on ensuring that I literally didn't set eyes on this guy. Uh, And I also knew that I had to get out of there as soon as possible. So um, on Friday morning, I spoke to a good friend of mine who said, listen, you need to just get out of there, like, ASAP. And by Saturday morning, I'd arranged for movers and... I got the hell out, basically. So um, thankfully, because I was already moving out, um, I had packed up quite a lot of my stuff and the movers were amazing. And we managed to move without the guy even realising that I'd gone. Talking of moving, my lease actually ended in July, but as part of the stipulation of the harassment um, claim, I had agreed that I would move out a month earlier in June. So, you know, you just think, gosh, this person knew I was moving. Uh, The whole matter of the harassment thing was settled. He'd signed a document saying that he wouldn't, you know, uh, talk to me apart from through legal counsel. We wouldn't talk to each other apart from through legal counsel, which was what I specifically asked for. There was no problem. But here I was being, uh, you know, having just been released from jail about some things, by the way, which he claimed happened in 2020. So it took him a whole year to go to the police to report that I had sexually abused him. And uh, as I've seen in the police reports, because I have all of them, he said it took him a year because he didn't think he would be believed. Really, it took him a year because he was completely talking out of his backside. So, yeah. So what I did was I, like I said, the movers came, they packed up all my stuff. I stayed inside while they did that. I told them that I couldn't go outside. You know, I didn't want to see the guy. They were amazing. And um, they moved all my stuff and I moved out. I left the place extremely clean. I uh, left the lights on so that it wouldn't look as if I had gone. And uh, I left and essentially kind of have been sort of in hiding since. Now, funnily enough, just a few days after that, I got an email from my housing attorney saying that Mr. Kinabay wanted to come to the property to go into the basement and would I let him in? And I was like, is this guy out of his mind? He's just had an order of protection put on me. Uh, and he wants to come to the property, so what, so he can see me and, like, have me arrested on the spot. I was just like, this guy's crazy. But as I said, I wasn't there anyway. But then began the five months of crazy that have led to the point that we are at now. So I knew that I had to get a, a lawyer, And I knew I had to get a really good lawyer and I needed somebody that was very experienced. And to be honest with you, you know, I approached it from the point of view that I could see that these people were, you know, they're racist, they're sexist, they're all sorts. I needed 
a white guy, a Jewish guy, like an older man, somebody who when they saw him, they would be like, oh gosh, you know, we shouldn't have even messed with her type thing. And I was able to find that lawyer um, who has just been absolutely fantastic and is one of the best lawyers in the city, if not the country. Also very expensive because attorneys are, um, we're talking $1,000 an hour expensive but I could just tell what I was up against. Um, so anyway, I, I contacted him. He was, he was shocked. He said that when he first heard from me, he actually thought it was a joke. And, um, but he said, okay, you know, let's, let's get on this. Now you have to remember, because I had an employment claim and I had the harassment claim against Akinabe, I had lots and lots of evidence that I already had on my, in my possession. And um, I do generally sort of document my life. I've always written a journal. I just keep things, you know. And so I start going through my records and I have emails and I have photos and I have all this stuff. So I sent them all over to the attorney and he said, OK, um, what I'm going to do is I'll arrange a meeting with the prosecutor who is prosecuting this case. The case is being prosecuted by the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, the Special Victims Unit. And so um, he arranged to meet with this district, assistant district attorney, who I won't name right now, but she has a lot to answer for. So what my attorney did, he compiled three binders, um, which he was going to show to the assistant district attorney. The binders covered before the dates that Mr. Akinabe, before the first date, Mr. Akinabe said that I harassed him, after the first date, between the first and the second date, and then after the second date. So what Akinabe did was he told the police that on two occasions, I had grabbed him on the bum and without his consent, and that apparently the first time, which he claims was in May, he claimed it was around the beginning of May, um, he said, he said no. And then I apparently stopped. He, he, he made up so much stuff. It was really ridiculous. Like maybe if I do a part three, I will actually read you the police reports. Um, not, you weren't there, obviously you wouldn't know, but the stuff is just, is just dumb. Like he was just completely riffing off the top of his head. He then claimed that in June, around mid June, I then touched him again. Uh, at that point, he said he didn't really say anything, but, you know, he claimed that he was uh, scared of me and scared of how I would behave. Um, it was very odd because on one hand, in the police reports, it says that he said that there had been no escalation of the alleged abuse from that date in June till, you know, May, or he went to the police at the end of April. Uh, there had been no escalation of the abuse in that time. Um, but yet he said he felt afraid for his life, which to me doesn't make any sense. But there you go. If I was an investigating detective, I would have said, hmm, that's a bit contradictory, isn't it? But there you go. He also told the police that we had a, a history of uh, adversity, I think they call it, um, adversar adversarial claims in the housing court um, they never asked him what those were, by the way. And I find it really odd that they never really d delved into 
why he would have waited a year to report something really actually is quite insignificant, to be honest. Um, because if you're going to the police, it's something that you feel is quite significant. Why did you wait a year? He said because he didn't think he'd be believed. It's just odd. Anyway, so he claimed that I abused him on two dates. Now, I moved into his apartment on the 8th of May. And he said the first time I touched him was on the 16th of May. Now, I was quite sure that I actually wasn't even with him on the 16th of May. And, you know, uh, if you're clever, you can do things like go through your phone records and stuff like that. I went through my phone records. I saw that around the time that he claims that I touched him, I'd been having some very, very long text conversation with somebody for maybe an hour at that time, which told me that I wasn't with him because I don't text like that with people when I'm with somebody else. I also walk a lot. So I then went back through my steps, my step count in my phone and found that on the 16th of May, I had walked 1.5 miles at around the time that he claims I touched him. So therefore, I wasn't even in the vicinity. It's likely that I went to the park because I went to the park at the on those at that time because it was covid you know there wasn't really anything to do so the going to the park is what i did so i was like okay you know clearly lying i can prove i can disprove that then he claims that in june uh i touched him again right now the thing is that during that time between those two dates he and i hung out nearly every day um we were taking trips together we were running errands together I have pictures, like I said, I have all sorts of things. I have, we were chatting on Instagram virtually every day. I have every single Instagram conversation that we had. Uh, You would have thought that if I touched him and he felt uncomfortable, if he told me no and it was inappropriate, as he claims that he did, that he would have mentioned it. He never did. In fact, like I said, we had a very flirtatious relationship. And at the time, I, you know, I did have some feelings for him and we talked about that never he never mentioned this alleged abuse and then the incident that he claims happened in June you would have thought okay if this is the second time that I alleged allegedly touched you and you were so uncomfortable again you would have mentioned it he didn't mention it because it didn't happen Uh, you would also think that if someone's touching you in a way that you really don't like that you might want to distance yourself from that person. He never did that either. In fact, we took trips upstate together, which means sitting in the car for hours at a time there and back. Um, You know, it just, none of it added up. But of course, the police didn't know that I had all of that information. They assumed that it was going to be a he said, she said thing, that I would have to just say, well, no, I didn't do it. And they would say, well, you know, how do you know? No one was there. Um, But yeah, I I had all these receipts. So the receipts are relevant because um, my attorney said, right, I'm going to present these to the assistant district attorney. He went to meet with the assistant district attorney, who is a young lady who uh, only passed the New York bar in 2019 Um, she's very fresh, very green. And I really believe that she thought that she was going to get some high profile case and she was going to make a name for herself very quickly off my back. So when my attorney went to meet with her, he presented her the binders. 
Each binder is probably 100 pages, and that is not even the entirety of the evidence that I have. Um, and he said to her, he said, this is clearly brazen lies, this is bogus, and here's the evidence to show you why, and you need to dismiss this case. She looked at it, apparently she sighed, and she sort of said, hmm, I understand. She said, okay, I'm going to have a think about it, let me get back to you. After that, this assistant district attorney then dodged my lawyer for quite some time. She refused to answer his phone calls, she wouldn't get back to him, nothing. We had a hearing coming up, and um, she was meant to get back to him before that hearing. When the hearing came, the hearing was virtual, she didn't even turn up. She actually sat in another room and had somebody stand in for her and was basically sort of shouting instructions to this person while we were in court. And even the judge was just like, wow, this is sort of very unprofessional for an assistant district attorney to do. Now, um, my lawyer then said to the judge, listen, you know, I've been to see this woman. We presented her with evidence. She's since not responded to anything. Um, she was meant to get back to me before this hearing. She didn't do that. So we want to push forward with a trial. And we will go to a trial, a bench trial, which is where you go in front of a judge instead of having a jury trial at that time. Um, because my lawyer said, you know, at this point, it's even looking like an illegal arrest. And the judge was pretty alarmed by that and said, fine, we will, you know, let's see if we can schedule something on the court calendar. Now, um, as I said to you, when my attorney spoke to this assistant district attorney, he told, he'd spoken to her about dismissing the case, which she said she would review. When the judge at the hearing asked her stand-in, you know, what do the people, um, that's what they call them, what do the people want to do? The stand-in said, oh, the people would like her to, basically they wanted me to take a plea deal, which was disorderly conduct with a full order of protection which was never agreed, never even discussed with my attorney. And, you know, just seemed like she was making it up. And my attorney said, absolutely not. I mean, why would I take a plea deal for something that I didn't do? So again, it became obvious at that time what was going on. They're playing games. I could also tell as things were going on that Akinabe was obsessed with this order of protection. That was a thing that he most wanted to keep. I believe that they didn't expect me to ask for any kind of trial, um, either a bench trial or a jury trial, which is what I later insisted on. And um, they thought that eventually I would cop to some deal and that he would get to have a basically lifetime order of protection against me. Now imagine, I live in New York City. New York is not the biggest city. Who knows where I could bump into this guy? So what, I'm going to walk around for the rest of my life or for a year, you know, worrying about bumping into him because he's going to have me arrested for some stuff that I didn't do. I mean, it's just, it was just unbelievable. So anyway, to cut a long story short, we ended up having, going in front of a judge. Now, I will uh, rewind a little bit. When I'm reading the police reports, um, for a long time in the police reports, it says that there was no probable cause to arrest me, right? So Akinabe had given them some text messages that I'd sent him or text exchanges he and I'd had, some of which referenced sexual stuff, 
um, you know, some other things, but it was it was all banter. You know, he was he was as involved in the conversation as I was. But the police reports say, you know, it looks like these two were flirting with each other. It looks like they'd been on good terms. No probable cause to arrest. In fact, up until the day I was arrested, I have a document that still shows that there was no probable cause to arrest, according to the police, which means that it's quite possible that they decided to arrest me anyway. But there's also another document where there was some conversation that the police had with the district attorney's office where the uh, assistant district attorney had said, we believe that we have more than enough evidence to find a guilty conviction, which I guess is what triggered them being able to get a warrant. So I'm a bit, still a bit confused as to where it went from no probable cause to we have enough to find this person guilty when there hadn't been any more presentation of evidence or anything like that from their side. So that remains a question mark to me. However, if you had more than enough evidence to find me guilty, you would think that when we went to the bench, bench hearing in front of the judge, that you would have presented the evidence that you have. That didn't happen. As soon as we started seeing the judge, that's when all the, well, let's say more fuckery started. So legally, the prosecution has a window of time, 90 days, in which they have to be able to be ready for trial. Um, And if they're not ready within 90 days, then your case is automatically dismissed. But what these prosecutors do a lot, not just in my case, but in many cases, and actually it seems to be their sort of standard way of operating, is they just try to run down the clock and push the 90 days further and further. They do this by declaring that they are not ready for trial um, or saying they're ready and then getting there to the hearing and saying they're not ready and just basically trying to um, put obstacles up. So the time frame gets drawn out. You, you know, hopefully will give up because, you know, people run out of money and they can't take time off work and whatever it is. And that's what started happening in my case. This assistant district attorney just started dragging it out, saying she wasn't ready. I mean, she's just... Seriously, if you had seen this girl, you would be embarrassed. She is... If that is the state of prosecutors in this country working for the state, then God help everybody. She's absolutely incompetent and corrupt and incompetent. And to be honest with you, I don't know how that girl passed the bar. And she literally acted as if if she didn't even go to school, let alone law school. Very terrible thing to watch. So, yeah, she just started pushing the can down the road and, uh, you know, insisting on this order of protection. Oh, gosh, it really was just it was just an incredible thing to actually watch. So. You know, then we just said, well, we want to go to trial now. We, we've che- we, we don't want to just have a bench trial. We want a full-on jury trial. Because I'm thinking, you know, these people keep saying that they represent the people. Well, let the people decide, the actual people of, not New-, of New York, not these prosecutors claiming to be for the people when they're clearly acting in their own interests. So the judge then decided that he would set a date for jury trial. And um, when they heard that, they started to get a bit concerned, the prosecutor did. So they tried to offer me a type of dismissal, which means that um, 
if I take it, then for six months, I would have to not get in any trouble. The order of protection would stay on. And if anything happened within six months, um, then I could, the case could either be dismissed if I was good or if I did something, you know, uh, they would continue the prosecution. Now, the problem I had with that is that, first of all, I didn't do anything in the first place. Second, I don't know why this guy has an order of protection. You know, I'd lived next door to him for, you know, a whole year after he claims I abused him. No problem. You know, in fact, I was the one that was really trying to avoid him. And that order of protection was just irking to me, to be quite honest with you. And also, I just, I just didn't see why I should accept it. I didn't want it. And I said no. Then the assistant district attorney brought on another prosecutor who was this sort of gung-ho woman who was just uh, also awful, less, less incompetent, but just arrogant. And she tried to offer me a dismissal with a three-month condition. Um, and I said, no, I don't want it. We're going to trial. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I want. I'm not interested in any of your deals, nothing like that. Um, my attorney told me that the reason why they kept trying to offer me these things is because it looks good on their statistics. And I was like, you know, F, your st- F their statistics. I'm not a statistic. I'm not going to be anyone's statistic. And this is just wrong. You know, this is absolutely wrong. And they know, they know that this case is completely bogus. They've seen the evidence. They know. And the, the prosecutor who was prosecuting this case, the assistant district attorney, her behaviour throughout the whole thing, to me, has been extremely strange. She, is, she seems to be emotionally invested in this case as if she has a personal connection to Akinabe. Beyond justice, you know, in the interest of justice, the evidence is there. It's quite clear that, you know, this guy has, has made up false charges. They're trying to do something that is untoward. So as per her job... She should have got rid of it. But no, she's holding on for dear life. Oh, just these people. So um, as we're getting ready for a a jury trial now, we have another court date. We get to the other court date. This is when now they have to, you know, specifically say that they're ready for trial, so on and so forth. We'd filed some motions to dismiss parts of of the case because... uh, at least for the top two charges of forcible touching, there was actually um, legally the actual complaint itself was what they call facially insufficient. That's a whole legal thing I can go into later, but I won't now. Anyway, the judge said that he agreed it was facially insufficient. He dismissed those charges. Um, The assistant district attorney brought on then another prosecutor from her department, who actually this one was was the more decent one. He said he would have a look at the case and within, you know, within a few days, he called my attorney and basically said, yeah, we we kind of need to get rid of this. Um, So what they gave me was a dismissal with immediate sealing of my record, which means that, you know, it would never show up on any background checks or anything like that. That was, that happened um, at the end of September and then I had the final hearing in uh, last week, which is where everything was sealed and so on and so forth. There's more to the legality of it and um, some of the you know, sort of legal procedure that happened, but I will spare you those details for now. What I will say 
is uh, this, though. So during these few months, um, I can't say for sure, but I started a, a few weird things started happening. I started receiving phone calls from people who I could tell had been sent to speak to me. Um, again, I won't name names, but, you know, people were trying to get information out of me, trying to find out my location. Um, I, I started receiving uh, an increase in, in very sort of weird spam, uh, which was, you know, talking about my funeral and stuff like that. I had various people trying to hack into my Instagram account. I had, um, you know, just stuff like that. I was getting phone calls from people I hadn't heard of from, for years who I knew had connections to him. Again, trying to find out my location. You know, there were people who I knew who, um, one person in particular who uh, had known about what was going on between myself and this guy and actually... Funnily enough, I'd put him in touch with this guy um, because the the, fir- the person I'm talking about was actually a private detective who was somebody that I was doing some work for, some writing work for. And I'd discussed him with Akinabe and Akinabe said, oh, he has a very interesting story. And Akinabe had wanted to make a script out of this guy's story and, and a TV series. And this guy started calling me and saying, oh, we need to get on the phone and talk. And this is someone who I know records conversations. And I was like, no, you're not going to lure me into your weird trap and try and get me to say things about this guy and then go back to him. And then he'll say that I violated the order of protection. Like, we're not doing that. And um, yeah, all of that stuff, you know. So essentially, you know, I've spent the past five months still really being harassed by this guy through the law, through this order of protection, um, having to basically be off the radar, uh, you know, stuff like that. I'm very thankful that there was a reporter that came to one of the hearings from the New York Daily News who actually wrote about this and the story was able to get out back in July. Um, You know, that that was quite nice because it's just good to have some coverage about these things. Somebody asked me if this had affected my work and, um, well, yes. I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, With the private investigator that I was working with, actually before Akinabe went to the police, he started calling this guy and basically slagging me off, saying that I was, you know, that he'd been going through things with me and I'm like this dangerous person and he's so afraid of me being next door and just just nonsense, you know. And the private investigator recorded the conversation, which was about 90 minutes long, and he sent it to me. And so I heard exactly what Akinabe was saying. And I kept saying at the harassment hearings, I need him to stop calling people that I know and talking about me and trying to affect my work and my livelihood so that he can use people that I know for his own personal gain, such as this guy with whom he wanted to do a TV series. Akinabe denied that he was doing that. One day I was in the garden, he was in the garden, and I actually played the recording of him out loud um, so he could hear it. And now when he went to the police, he told them that every single time he leaves his house and he has guests, I open the window and I start playing voices and, and playing audio recording out, 
out of the window. Again, trying to create this narrative that I'm this like crazy stalker person that was living next door to him. Just completely absurd. Anyway, here we are five months later and um, the whole case has been dismissed, thank God. The assistant district attorney who was prosecuting the case was very seemingly quite upset at the last hearing that this had happened, i.e. that justice had been served. I don't know what her agenda was at all. It was not justice. Like I said, she seems to have some emotional investment in the case, which is beyond my understanding at present, and um, seemed very upset that she wasn't able to get a win, even though she knew that there was nothing there. And that is something that is completely unacceptable. And I wonder how many other people she's doing this to and what's going on behind the scenes whereby she is so overly invested in something that really actually has nothing to do with her. So the whole thing has been bizarre, annoying, enraging and just appalling. It's been an abuse of power on all sides. Really, this case should never have got to where it is now, uh, or where it, you know, where it got to. Uh, it should have been dismissed ages ago. It should have been dismissed as soon as the prosecutor became very clear that she had nothing. She's wanted to continue to go ahead with a case which had no evidence to support her. And remember, it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. The onus is on the prosecution to prove that I'm guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, which they could not have done in a million years. And she knew that, but she didn't want to give it up. I don't know if she's in love with a guy or she's starstruck or she thought she was going to, you know, become the next big thing from this. I do not know. I don't care either, but I do just find it disgusting that she had no qualms whatsoever in thinking that she could basically destroy my life. Um because of her own personal interest. So I think I'm going to finish this part two here without talking to you for more hours and chewing off your ears. Um, I hope I've given you some sense of how this has all kind of gone down. It's been really disturbing to me to see how a district attorney's office kind of gets somebody in their grip and refuses to let go, even when they know that what they're doing is unjust. I have a very big problem with that. And um, I have a very big problem with them trying to use an innocent person or innocent people for their own personal gain, which is they're not there to do that. At the end of the day, I'm a taxpayer too. So I'm paying that girl's wages as well. And she's acting against me for herself, but sitting in a position claiming that she is for the people. As far as Akinabe goes, I know that he's spent a long time exploiting women. That's also something for another time. Um, but please share this, please tell everybody you know, tell your friends, tell anybody, because what we have here is a an exploitative predator operating in our midst 
who has literally no qualms about lying to the police, signing documents full of lies, saying that these things happened, having no qualms about me being deported or my livelihood, you know, going down, anything. And you have to remember, I really didn't do anything to this guy. He got all his rent money. He was so upset about having to pay me for the work that I did for him. Is that what made him this angry? Really, he wanted to bully me. He told me from the beginning he saw me as a gold mine. He asked me to lend him $50,000 for investing in a property, which thank God I did not do. He's a user. He wanted to use me. And when he realized he couldn't, he got into a narcissistic rage. And here we have it. God bless him and his problems, but really, he can't do this again. He cannot do this. So, I would very much like for the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, Kings County, to charge him, like has happened with Jussie Smollett, for filing false police reports. If I had six charges against me, fake ones, filed by someone who was lying, why is that person not being prosecuted for that? Again, unacceptable. There's something extremely rotten and corrupt about how the system works in this country. It shouldn't, if I wasn't able to afford a lawyer, if I wasn't able to advocate for myself, if I hadn't shouted at the lawyer on the day I was locked up saying, I will not be made homeless, I probably would have been made homeless that night. It's just disgusting. So thank you for listening. And... Um, What's next? We shall see. I do believe everything happens for a reason. I think I've been through this for a greater purpose. And if I can stop this guy from harming one more woman, then my job will be done. Thank you. Take care. God bless.